Sometimes, the best stories in golf aren't found on tour. You'll find them at the back of the range. And here's your host, Ben Adelberg. Welcome to the Back of the Range Golf Podcast. I'm your host, Ben Adelberg. This is episode 106. Lots of interesting things happening in the golf world over the next couple weeks. We have the Hero World Challenge, the President's Cup is next week, as well as the Corn Ferry Tour Q School Finals. Say that again really fast. So plenty of golf to watch and analyze. It's kind of felt a little bit slow the last couple weeks. So definitely looking forward to watching some golf this weekend and next weekend. So nice little surprise for me this week. Got to visit again with Brandon Wu. Last time I saw him was at Hoylake when he led the U.S. Walker Cup team to victory at Royal Liverpool Golf Club. He's down here in South Florida getting ready for the Corn Ferry Tour Q School Finals. So lots of mojo heading his way and everyone else traveling to Orange County National next weekend for the finals. Also, congrats to our friend Dottie Pepper. She was named the lead on-course reporter at CBS Sports recently. You're going to see a lot of her at the Masters and at all of the PGA Tour events in 2020. Nobody works harder at their craft than Dottie. So very exciting to see that news. And that actually ties in with some news related to the Back of the Range Golf podcast. The first tournament that I'll be attending and covering in 2020 will be the Latin America Amateur Championship at Mayakoba. This tournament is being held next month. I'll be there checking out the field and visiting with some of the players. Geronimo Esteve will be representing Puerto Rico. He's a former guest of the podcast. My pal Ernie Marin, he's representing Nicaragua, along with former winners of the LAC, Toto Ghana and Paul Chaplet. So never been to Mexico. Very excited about that. I might even squeeze in a little bit of golf. You never know. But at the very least, I'll provide some photos and videos So make sure that you're following along on our social media channels. You know the drill. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. Also, if you want to check out any of the previous episodes, make sure you go to thebackoftherange.com. So I did a little Cyber Monday deal on Instagram to blow out some of the trucker hats and the towels that I still have lying around. If you didn't see that deal, so you get a trucker hat of your choice, two towels, one for you and one for a friend, and one of our custom logo metal ball markers. So if you missed this deal, it was only $25. I'm going to leave it up for as long as possible. So go to the website, thebackoftherange.com, backslash holiday deal. I'll put the link to this deal in the show notes of this episode. So go pick up some of that merch. Again, 25 bucks gets you all set up. And I'll keep it up there as long as everything is still in stock. All right, special episode this week, a different episode. Our guest is Ryan Chrysler. He's the senior instructor at the Butch Harmon School at the Floridian here in South Florida. So one of the facts about hosting your own podcast is that you never know who might be listening. You can see a bunch of statistics, but it's hard to tell who's listening, where they're listening from, and in this case, their involvement in the game of golf. You know, some are scratch players. we got some 30 handicappers coaches, casual fans of golf. In this case, it's an instructor. And not just any instructor. Ryan is at the Floridian. If you don't know about this place, you should, because this is where Ricky, DJ, Brooks, they all work on their game there. Claude Harmon started the school along with his father, Butch, about 10 years ago. And Ryan Chrysler has been there as well, working with some of the top players in the game for nearly a decade. Now, if you're thinking that I just called it the Floridian and invited myself up for the day, Now, that's not exactly how this happened. 
See, Ryan's actually been listening to the podcast for quite some time. And if you remember the Brady expert episode, well, Brady's a member at the Floridian. So I guess you know how that connection was made. This episode was recorded the day after Thanksgiving. I took a ride up to the Floridian, and truthfully, I just expected to record Ryan's interview, maybe take a look around, and call it a day. But Ryan suggested that since I came all this way, I should experience a little bit of what his students get to experience every day. So he ran me through a two-hour session. First, I warmed up on the grass at the back of the range, of course, then went into the hitting bay where he strapped some sensors and I hit some balls in there. Then Josh Little, their on-site physical therapist, well, he took me into the fitness studio and it's a really humbling experience when you're trying to do these agility and mobility exercises and you look up at your instructor and they're kind of saying, is that all? Is that the best you can do? So, after I got through that, we actually went outside. I started hitting balls again. And this is when the lesson and the advice actually started. You went through about an hour and a half before any words of advice and instruction was even given. So they just, they're that thorough with what they do. Well, after a few tweaks to my posture and my grip, I was actually hitting the ball a lot better. So it was an absolutely fantastic day. Have to thank Ryan and Josh, head pro Morgan Jewell, the entire staff at the Floridian for making me feel welcome at the flow. So, let's get the episode started. Enough of me. Let's get to Ryan. So, Ryan, welcome to the back of the range. Great to have you here. This is, uh, this, I, I, I mean... Nice, the, easy, get, nice, easy day. I mean, yeah. You know, the, the podcast titled The Back of the Range, and here we are right at the back of the range of the Floridian. Inside this learning center is pretty I, nice little back I, of the I range. I mean, I'm looking around. You have every Cameron putter. I'll, I'll post some photos of this, but this literally could be just a Cameron ebay outlet store <laughs> i mean we won't tell titleists they wouldn't like that too they much like that too probably much. not but there's just a massive amount of gear and cameras and and hitting bays and and we'll we'll post some pictures of that later and get the full uh, full scope but you were the senior director of instruction alongside with claude Harmon here at the floridian you both started actually at austin golf club yeah so before we get to that start, I kind of want to walk back and get an idea of how you get to that point, which launches your career that takes you from there to here and okay. seeing the best players in the world walk in on a day-to-day -day basis saying, hey, can you look at this? Yep. Okay. So mm -hmm. obviously, how did you start? Okay. How did you start playing golf? When did golf become such a fixture in your life? I started playing golf when I went to, my dad worked for, for EDS, which is Ross Pro's company. They bought EDS or GM, General Motors bought EDS. And we moved to England for a couple of years. And the, the American school that I went to had a golf course there, a little nine-hole golf course. And that's where we really started playing a lot more golf, despite the weather there. Okay. I did a couple of junior clinics, like the Tom Kite Junior Clinic back in Austin. I never really played tournaments until uh, late 80s, early 90s. But uh, that's where I played a lot. Of, we uh, It's about a half hour drive from the house, and we would just go out there. It was a nice, easy, short course. And then uh, my parents were members at Fox Hills, too, and I probably took maybe one lesson there. But I don't remember ever playing that course, which is outside of London. But, uh, but that's kind of where it started. It started in England. Okay. Pretty interesting. And how did – and I guess how did you transition? Uh, you played golf at SMU. Yep. And I think it's so fascinating that you're you're an instructor and your coach at SMU was Hank Haney. Yep. So your college golf experience, did you kind of 
were you in the mode of like, I'm going to turn professional. That's where I want to go. No. Okay. No, no. Okay. My college golf experience was, was pretty short. It was about a semester and a half or a year and a semester. Okay. My, uh, my whole rationale for that was I really wanted to be an FBI agent. And really? I just decided that I really wanted to play golf. And obviously we're here I ended up choosing golf, but most of my high school and all of my college career, was the main focus was to be an FBI agent. I'd always been a fan of those shows on TV, Homicide, okay. uh, FBI Files, X-Files, sure. for sure. That was huge, late or early 90s. So <clears throat> really didn't have any uh, uh, friends that are in the FBI, or I didn't really have parents or friends that were police officers, but I always liked the police and the FBI because I just wanted to go out there and solve puzzles and crimes and do all that stuff. Okay. So I had kind of an investigative type of mindset, I guess you will. And, right. and in college, I discovered uh, one of my professors in college, Joe Kabilke, still there. I haven't talked to him in a while, but I probably should. A political science professor. Um, my degrees were political science and in psychology. Right. I got my psychology degree basically my senior year. I had nothing left to do in poli sci, so I just went to the psych department, knocked out a degree in about a year. And um, in a year, basically, taking 21 hours a semester. And you usually don't do that during senior year, but I knocked it out. And uh, my uh, during the time, late 90s, you know, terrorism wasn't a big deal. And so I really wasn't focused on being an FBI, FBI agent to focus on terrorism. It was mostly uh, what, wherever I would go, maybe accounting, maybe um, business. Um, but the real thing I really liked was the profiling aspect of it. And that's why I got a psych degree because I discovered the original, I guess you could say, FBI profiler was John Douglas. And he put out a couple books that I read and I was just fascinated how you could look at a crime scene and get a suspect using his system. Mm -hmm. And he was pretty spot on and it was pretty interesting. So that's what I wanted to do. And so I went to college to do that and golf and doing all that work in college didn't mesh. I was also not that good of a golfer. Hank Haney did a favor for me, <laughs> you know. I could have gone to, like, Division Three, like Washington Lee. I really wanted to go there. Um, I thought about coming here to Tampa um, or just Florida in general and just staying in the warm weather. Sure. But I really wasn't that good, and basically until 2006 or so. But, uh, but uh, I was around a lot of good golf, and Hank Haney just really gave me a, a walk-on opportunity. I was, I was already at SMU on a scholarship. It was still a great time. I probably should have spent more time on the team, but uh, I just decided going into that sophomore spring semester that I needed to be more focused on my FBI so pursuit. Now your degrees make complete sense to me because I, I knew you had the poli sci and the psych degree. And, yeah, and I'm, I'm not a business guy. Not a business guy. I'm, I'm always been almost like a, despite I have a little IT background too, just on my own, but uh, I just like solving stuff. And of and course, this leads right into the golf swing. Yep. And you mentioned profiling, so you're yep. You can see when players are lying to you or lying to themselves. Sure. Or you can see when you can get more out of them. You can see really what their fears are. Yep. So you're getting these degrees for this one purpose. I want to be an FBI agent, but mm -hmm. now you're using these degrees for something else. 
when did it click into, I want to be an instructor? Like when did that point of like, okay, I don't want to be an FBI agent anymore. What else can I do? Well, I play golf, but that doesn't necessarily mean I'm a golf instructor. Yep. So when did that start to click and say, okay, well, this might be an opportunity for me? I would say I tried to play pro golf for a while too. So I had a real job for a while. I was in Medicaid in California. My job basically, since I was a bit of an IT guy, I wrote some software programs and I knocked out my job within the first couple of months I was there. Okay. So I shifted to, which is basically Medicaid. My role was uh, on the IT side in the claims department. Okay. So California, pretty much the biggest Medicaid account sure. in the state. So you have a ton of claims coming through, a ton of forms, all that stuff. Back then we were still scanning them and then transferring automatically to computers and stuff. Mm-hmm. But, uh, so I wrote this program, knocked out my job. It took my, the guy I replaced, took him like all week to do our job, which was basically reports. Sure. And uh, essentially reports, Excel sheets like that. So I was able to solve that and have everything done by Monday for whoever needed these reports. There were claims adjusters and examiners and fraud department over here. And that's what kind of led me to doing some more fraud type stuff because the fraud department was this right next to my cubicle, basically one cubicle over. And uh, I was doing that for a while and having a good time. But in 1999, that summer, Paul Laurie won the British Open. Yes, he did. And who the hell is Paul Laurie? And so that kind of got my juices flowing again. It's like, man, if he can do this, I can do this. So I, so my, uh, I converted my shift basically from 5 to about 2 o'clock. So 5 a.m. to 2 p.m. It was a 24-hour shift, basically, to run Medicaid for every state back then because you just have so much paperwork and so many claims. So I just told my boss at the time, hey, can I just come in with the morning shifts? And I just did all my stuff in the mornings there and knocked it out. And So I was I had afternoon off, basically, and I spent some time trying to work on my game. Probably would have been the same thing if Vandeveld won too, because you would have said, who the hell is John Vandeveld also? Sure. Yeah. Interesting. Sure. So they got my juices flowing. I probably shouldn't have turned pro as early as I did and tried to play more tournaments, but uh, I went ahead and turned pro and wasn't very good. Came down here in Florida, 2000, 2001 season, did the Golden Bear Golden Tour. Golden Bear Tour. Oh, yeah. Just you got the crap kicked out of you, didn't you? Every day. Yeah. Uh, every day of the week. Let's um, see. Brad Adamanis, Adam Armagost. Ken Duke. Ken Duke. Uh, Hiroshi Matsuo. Was, uh-huh. He was the big guy at that time. Okay. He pretty much won every other week. But yep. Ken Duke was on that tour for a little bit too. Yeah. Who's now one of your students. Yeah, I work with him a little bit. Yeah. I'm more, I'm more learned from him than anything, you know. But uh, we do some wedge work and some sword game type stuff with Ken. But yeah. So yeah, that tour, that's one of the last mini tours, developmental tours that existed where, where guys could actually make some money and at the end of it say, yes. hey, I, I put some money away. I didn't just spend all my money on entry fees and gas and food and stuff like that. I mean, that and the Hooters tour. Yes. Really kind of one of the last ones there. That And then I play the Tightlice tour as well. Yeah. Yep. Wow. Which is now an APT, I think. Yeah. 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 Gary DeSerrano runs still APT. Doing it. Yep. He was doing it when tour. I was there. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, back to your original question, how did I become an instructor? Well, I played for a while, played terribly for a while, and I just went back home to Austin and started working at Austin Golf Club. Still kind of just your basic shop assistant guy mm-hmm. on the track to being a head professional 
type of role. And I was around Ben Crenshaw all the time. So I was still kind of intermediate, kind of trying to play section type stuff. Mm -hmm. Still working, you know, 60 hours a week. Having a great time. Uh, the early days at Austin Golf Club were fantastic. And then uh, what kind of pushed me to teaching, back to your original question, is the club hired Claude in, about, in the summer of 2005. He had been basically on the European tour for several years, working with top players, and he wanted to reestablish his roots in the U.S. And through our relationship with Titleist, we were a pretty big Titleist account at the time, and we interviewed a bunch of people, I think, uh, the, the GM did, and we just settled on on Claude. It was pretty much a no-brainer, you know. So you go, so you're at Austin Golf Club, and you're yep. around Ben Crenshaw. Yep. Claude walks in, and now you're off to the races. What was your learning curve being around guys like Ben Crenshaw? You know, obviously the Harmon family is, I mean, yep. we can make arguments about what the first family of golf instruction is. They're obviously in that conversation. Yep. This isn't just a, a teaching pro at some club getting 50 bucks an hour teaching, you know, the nice little ladies that, I mean, this is, you're thrown into the fire here, I'm assuming. Yeah, Austin Golf Club had a lot of top, a lot of top players, a lot of good local amateur type players. Uh, ben was around too, so that was pretty cool. Learning from him. I mean, just standing on the putter, just, I mean, you just watch him putt all day, couldn't you? Whenever he would practice hard, he would practice putting. He'd have... Eight eighty-eight oh twos. You couldn't tell what was different. Okay, he could tell you what's different between okay. each one. But he did a lot of putting practice, and the only time I saw him really hit balls was when he was testing irons, like a new set of irons, or maybe ten balls to warm up and go play. He barely even warmed up to go play. But when he practiced, it was just putting. Okay, yeah. so that's very enlightening for people listening to this podcast because when yeah. you think of Ben Crenshaw, you think that he just rolls out of bed has coffee and a sandwich and that putting stroke is always there waiting for him because yep. he said it's so natural. Yep. So he worked a lot on that. Worked a lot on that. He looked, he worked a lot on trying to find the shaft that he originally had in that putter because he broke it. I think accidentally he broke it several times, but he, he was never able to find that shaft that he loved the feel of. And so all these putters had different shafts. He re he reshafted his original putter hundred times, if not more since wow. I've been here. And so the chrome was burned off and it was pretty wild. He always searched uh, some shops in Austin for old bullseye shafts and stuff, just to try to find that right feel. And he would tell you, you know, this shaft is kicking this way and this shaft is kicking this way. And nobody ever talks about flex and in their put putter shaft. Yeah. And it's like, okay, I can't feel a difference. <laughs> I'm not that good. And you're like, I don't I don't know what you're talking about, but sure, you're Ben Crenshaw, I believe you. But yeah, but the learning curve was there for sure. I mean, Claude walked in 2005. I'd been there for a couple of years. I'd gone to TPI in 2004. Okay. And those two guys are still my, uh, uh, very responsible for my teaching career, Greg Rose and Dave Phillips. I talked, I've talked to Greg probably more often than Dave, but... The whole TPI system, just thinking about profiling a golfer. I don't know how people can teach without taking their players through a screen because you, you understand what their body can do. And if you tell them to do this and they can't do it, well, most likely they physically can't do it. Sure. So, but yeah, that learning curve was fast. And uh, but 
by the 2006, I told the guys, I told Alec, the president at the time, and, and Joe, the GM at the time, that I'm going to leave the shop and stand outside with Claude all day and learn and teach as much as I can. And so I did. So you, so you spent a lot of time. This is so that was your education. I mean, obviously, you went through the PGM program in your class A, and you had, I, but at I the started, time, you probably weren't. I started the PGM program. Okay. I didn't finish it. Really? I just used the TPI guys. So you're having to learn this as you go. So let me ask you, what was the first golf lesson or session that you led with either Claude or Butch watching you where you felt, okay, this is maybe maybe a sink or swim moment here? You know, I'm not even sure. If, I don't think Butch has ever really watched me teach okay. like for an hour. Okay. It's been like five-minute snips here and there. Uh, I had him work out with, uh, I had him help a, a kid, Todd, Todd Green, who's probably listening, uh, maybe a couple of years ago. And we were working on some stuff and Butch came in and delivered his two minute, two minute take. And it was basically the same stuff, just a different way. Sure. And probably a more effective way, just trying to get him off his right side, mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. But, um, you know, we don't, I mean, I don't sit here and we don't have a executive meeting once a week with Claude discussing how we're teaching. Um, they've been very hands off, you know, very inspiring for sure. If you, you saw the you saw yeah, the wall out there, but uh, when I'm with Claude, it's he's usually driving the driving the ship, mm -hmm. and I'm there to assist. And it's probably been like that since 2005. And then uh, we've we've shared some players back and forth for sure, and we've we've taught people maybe a month or a year apart. And we typically come to the same conclusion. You saw Claude out there earlier. Claude is very dramatic and very loud. And I'm very soft-spoken and very, I, I wouldn't say, uh, I guess maybe I'm very soft-spoken, but I'm, I don't use too many words and I'm not out there preaching. And I, I wait till I come up with my suggestion. And it may be 20 minutes in or maybe five minutes in, but... Well, it's interesting because it's you're saying that about about Claude. So is it, and correct me if I'm wrong, but is it possible that there are players that come here that worked with Claude for a while, worked with you for a while, and, oh, yeah, that, and say yep. like, okay, I, I like maybe the softer spoken yep. delivery of the information from you as opposed to maybe the dramatic or the more... Claude, yeah. Claude wasn't teaching, he'd be an actor. Okay. He's fantastic. He is so talented. I've always been like a chief of staff guy, behind the desk guy. Yeah. You know, analytical to a degree, just kind of soft-spoken. I would say very laid back for sure because I'm, I'm from Texas, just laid back. But uh, my delivery is pretty short and concise, and hopefully it's effective. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, I'm not a big storyteller, and the Harmons are great storytellers, and that's kind of part of their you're, part you're, of their You're trial. holding your own. You're, yeah, you're doing yeah. You're single digit. We, yeah. You know, we're not we're not scratch yet, but you're you're single digit. I got a psych degree. I'm usually listening to people. I know. Emails, you know, I'm never on the never on the couch. What um, I was looking when I was looking at different clips of of Butch or Claude or Claude teaching. You know, there's this one YouTube clip up there. It's it's from here, and it's you looks, did a lot of stuff early. Haven't done much since. Okay, so it's Butch and Claude teaching a young player about uh, just. Yeah, teach about chipping. That thing yep. has over 1.3 million yeah, views. I checked that out the other day because I figured you would. Uh huh. I was pretty surprised by that. Well, okay, so that's perfect because I'm I'm bringing that up because all these everyone is so thirsty for tips and tricks from yep. from from the best. 
you see the impact of social media, you see the impact of the internet, you know, IT background, you, you're well aware of what's going on. Do you try, you said you don't put stuff, uh, as much stuff out anymore. Like, well, back so, in my what, old job, I did. We did a lot of stuff. Okay. Me and a, a, a guy named Spencer, who now works for Titleist. Okay. Worked for Scotty Cameron, and now he works for the club, the club side of things. We had our own show on YouTube, and it was basically kind of modeled after Gary Vaynerchuk trying to do something cool. So you're a Gary Vaynerchuk fan? Huge fan. Me too. Um, I would say when I, because Claude left at basically the fall of 2006. He only spent about a year at Austin Golf Club, but uh, learned a lot, was on my own then. So I needed to figure out ways to, you know, get the name out there. And then Spencer came along uh, about a year or so later, and we decided just to start filming things that we like to do. And a lot of it was about Titleist, and he was a big Scotty Cameron fan, so he had a ton of Scotty Cameron putters. And even you know, ten years ago, there was there was forums and videos and pictures of the Scotty Cameron enthusiasts. So that was kind of our yeah kind of kind of our in. And that kind of expanded to more of a show about a little bit about club fitting and club performance and a little bit about TPI and a little bit about fitness and and little things like that and promoted it on Facebook and Twitter and it basically basically became, you know, half my week was working on our show and then half the week was actually teaching. <laughs> right. So you're burning the candle to both ends trying to... Yep. And, and it was a lot of hours. To, it was 2008, 2009. I got, bought my first Mac. And it still took, for video, I don't know, it took probably a day to kind of put together sure. something that was quality. Yeah. And then you had the whole audio part. And that's a oh, whole other. That's a whole other. And that's that takes a while. You got to be at the right win. And then we got, then Titleist actually sent us some good mics. So that was kind of cool. So yep. you actually had a level your mic and a wind protector. So that was good. But uh, so I've done that. Yeah, we done. I did that uh, ten years ago. And a lot of promotion, a lot of Q and A. Did some live stuff, um, but I, we never really posted um, swings and drills. We just kind of talked about, you know, if this is what it's like for you, then this is what we're doing here. Right. And then, by the way, uh, we're, we're big Titleist fans. Here's the latest Titleist driver. And here's some great shafts we've been looking at. And Spencer's got this new Scotty Cameron putter. So that created a lot of interest. And we had people start flying in. And they'd come in for a club fitting, a lesson or two, or a couple hours there. And that kind of became a little bit of the business, too. We're, it's kind of almost the same kind of type of deal. The members are at Austin Golf Club. We're there to play and practice. And then on the weekends, maybe they get a lesson. But so during the week, you know, Tuesday through Friday, I needed to do something. And we had people come in and fly in from Minnesota and England. And it was really cool. And they came in just to get fit. And then on top of that, we did some TPI stuff and fixed their, fixed their movement pattern a little bit, gave them a couple things to think about swing-wise. And that was kind of my model down there teaching once Claude left is so you you come here to the Floridian with Claude you guys set this up together he did most of the work I I came late okay and that's also a good story Um, let's we that's what we do here the only reason I'm here uh, is because Austin Golf Club burned down it was a crazy Labor Day weekend it was hot it was really dry 
And there was four major fires in Austin, and one of them pretty much took out the club, the one that was west of town and took out the club. Wow. And I think it was about a 300,000-acre fire over there. And I think it started by a guy who was just either welding something or just a simple accident. Mm -hmm. But the weird thing is that there was three separate fires, or four, four total fires. One in Bastrop that was pretty devastating, but nobody got killed. A lot of property damage. But I spent like the month of September 2011 basically fighting fires and providing supplies for, I had a bunch of friends who were volunteers, volunteer firefighters, and it took about a month, maybe more to put every fire out. Wow. So I spent a month not working, not doing anything except you know, talking to people, getting my members, getting my clients to help us get these firefighters water and visine. That's really all they wanted, water and visine. And that took about a month. And then it started kind of quieting down in October. And I was looking around at the club and, you know, the tea boxes and greens kind of survived because that was the only thing they were watering at the time, basically, because right, right. we were in a drought mode. And the clubhouse was saved. The cottages were saved. My little teaching center was saved. But you look around, the, you know, the drive-in, it was devastated. So I had a pretty much a turning point right there. It was like, there's no way I can really teach with all this going on. So I decided to stop teaching. I was going to go in back into IT. And wow. uh, before my, another story is that George Strait was my last uh, client at AGC. Really? So that was pretty cool. But that's how I got here. So I, I tried to find a bunch of jobs and I tried to get my certifications uh, back in line and it didn't really work out. And then Claude just called me and said actually I was here in August that year just to see it I was here in August uh, he told me all about it and it was still in concrete blocks and stuff and then I got the call probably sometime in November and I came after I came Sunday of Thanksgiving week almost almost anniversary wow uh, I guess nine years down and when he came down here and saw it then this is Let's see. So 2000, 2011. 11. So this is right when actually the change of ownership happened. Yep. That was 2010. Jim Crane bought from, from Hyzenga. Yep. So you come down here and you're thinking like, what were you expecting coming down here? Really? My only experience was going to Titus and visiting the TPI in okay. terms of a teaching center, this comprehensive, which you're here now. Right. So I just couldn't believe you would have this type of building. It's 4,500 square feet on the back of a practice team yeah. with a great view and some water over here. And it's kind of turned into something really special, you know? So that's how I got here. I think one thing that listeners would automatically assume you teach at the Floridian, they're just going to assume that if, if, you know, Dustin Johnson, Brooks Kepka, Ricky Fowler, they just assume that if they're not on tour on TV, they're just, you're, they're here all the time. And every day here spent, there's tour players walking in and out. Cause I think people are very fascinated. I'm fascinated with like, what is the normal day to day for a tour player? That's when they're not on TV. Sure. Um, we don't really see them practice. I mean, you see them warm up in the range. Yep. And really, you don't see that all that often. I think yep. that's why I think most people are so drawn to the Masters 
Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday for that Masters on the range because, oh, my gosh, I get to watch these players. Yeah. I mean, that is... That's tournament prep, too. That's that still is, not day-to-day. Right, but that's but still, that's our only glimpse of yep. what that looks like. Which is very cool. Uh, oh, it's, I, that's crack for me. I can watch that Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Masters on the range. Just don't show yep. me anything else. I can just watch all that. Man, I can just start with, with any any player. Maybe what was the first player that you started working with here that was your first entry into, okay, I'm not just teaching members. I'm teaching touring professionals where my input, my suggestions directly relate or directly affect their ability to earn a living. Yeah, I'd say it's probably Peter Uline or Ken Duke were probably the first you know, top players. Right. Back in Austin, it was Joe Ogilvy for a little bit. Yeah. Just helped him just a, one day. And... Uh, does it get the heart rate going a little bit differently when you're? No, it doesn't for me. For, doesn't for you. To me, it's just another, it's another puzzle I got to solve, and I really don't get too amped up about it. Um, I get amped about, I get amped for solving stuff. Sure, for sure. Um, but yeah, it was probably Peter Uline. He was here early, early, early on. Ken Duke was here early on. Jim Herman a little bit now and mm-hmm. then, but uh, I wasn't awestruck at all. That no, I was more about solving the whatever I needed to solve that day. And, and but it's fun. It was fun. And I'm guessing that the players probably like that more because they realize that you're there to work too. Yep. And you don't, so. and they don't, you don't, they don't want you to be all awestruck. They don't want yep. you to be any different. Um, yeah, there's no fanboy out there. This is, so here's Brooks walking in. I didn't know you were coming today. Yep. He's walking in. There he is. I'll tell you their their day to day stuff. Uh huh. Yeah, talking about, yeah, I'm very interested with what day-to-day stuff there's, is. There's so many differences between the day-to-day tour player, in my opinion, than the guys that were trying to get to the tour okay. or the member trying to get better. And, and unfortunately, it's very boring because they work on the same stuff for the whole year. And they may tweak it a little bit during the season. But from what I've seen, it's the same stuff over and over again. And it's usually alignment, takeaway, and maybe get a little more on top of it. And that's about it. And then they just do it for maybe two hours max and go play and throw in a workout hour or so. And that's your seven or eight hour day. And sometimes they don't even play. Like Brooks is not even, doesn't really play that much. He's just kind of a practicer. I think DJ probably practices practices in play, and when we were working with Ricky, and I was probably I'm most intrigued by Ricky because he's like the most polished guy I think because he's probably been out there just as long as DJ, and he's got so many so many things going on. He uh, he's got his own uh, production company, film company. Sure. He has so many sponsors on that bag and those shirts. See, he's, he's, that comes with complication. That comes with time commitments. And he manages it all. And that's what I was most impressed with is like, he does this, he does that. And then on top of it, he's been in a real hard hour or so with Butch or, or with Claude. And that was it. Working on top of the swing. That's it. So I think that that's really unique with Ricky. I don't think everybody has as many sp- sponsors and his own company. And all that time that takes off the golf course, especially during a tournament itself, I think he it's amazing how good he is with all that. And it's part of his deal, part of his image. I think Brooks has a few sponsors, but he's not like Ricky. He's not out 
working on, you know, a series on the Golf Channel. It's not kind of Brooks's personality. He's not yet. But, you know, he helped with the Houston Open and helped us on that course too. So I think the real cool thing with Brooks, seeing him go from the first time I played with him here to now is he's he's taken everything in stride. It hasn't changed one bit. He's just gotten bigger and stronger, and that's about it. And a little bit better. <laughs> just just a little bit. But um, it's so it's generally so simple. And you know, none of those guys are searching YouTube like some of these Canadian tour and Latin American guys and miniature guys and members just searching, searching, searching for something that works that day. And these guys are working on something that works all year. And they're playing 25, 30 events no matter what. Right. And they don't quit because or they don't pull out of a tournament because they're playing bad. They're still playing. It's just, it's totally different. It's totally different. And it's, we try to instill that in our juniors and in our college players that, you know, we're not guessing here after all our analysis and Claude's experience. We think we know what we're doing. We're still learning, but you got to give it like a year to work on this change. And it may be fast or it may be slow, but you can't give up on it and try to find different ways to do the same thing. You just got to, you got to, well, you can try to find different ways to do the same, but you can't change the overall goal for the year or the concept, you know? Do you feel that that has changed more in maybe the last decade with the advent of social media, of YouTube, of Well, there's guys people. making careers on YouTube. Well, that, but also sure. I'm just thinking about like, People want instant gratification. Yep. People more so, than, you know, than ever. Um, like we were just talking about Gary Vaynerchuk. One of his big things is yeah. like, dude, I worked my ass off for 12 years and didn't do anything on YouTube. Yep. I worked at my dad's liquor store. Nobody knew who I was. I didn't talk. I didn't go out. I just worked. Yep. So he's a definitely inspiration. Uh, right. Tim Ferriss, an inspiration. Simon yeah. Sinek is an inspiration for sure. There's a non-golf inspirations. But how do you communicate to golfers now saying, look, you may have to do this for a year or two. You're not going to see any results. It's going to be frustrating as hell. Hopefully it's not that long. Okay. So, but, yeah. but, but it's, you're, <laughs> you're going to do something that you got to stick to it. Right. This isn't, we're not getting a little bandaid thing or, or finding something on YouTube or, an, yep. or you've got all these tools. We use the TPR screen. We use K vest. I use K vest a lot. Okay. And which basically tells me how your swing works or doesn't work. It may be a quick fix and make it work that day, but it still hasn't settled in yet. And it still takes a tournament to have it settle in. And then it takes stretch of tournaments three or four in a row then it takes how does it work when you're two back two back on the back nine Mm -hmm. or you're playing in the league group how does that work and i don't care if it's not happening in practice i only care about if it's happening on the golf course Mm -hmm. and i need and in tournaments i need more than one week to figure that out if it's working i need like a series of three or four tournaments and come back i need maybe a season of stats and info to say, you know, this is the thing we worked on. We can see the improvement. We can see a drop off. We, I track everything. I got players on birdie fire. All of our juniors use Arcos. Um, I got a bunch of players using whoop now, mm-hmm. which is a new thing that I've implemented. I'm trying to track everything and find the correlation and it takes time. Our sport takes time. 
I'm not going to discount the YouTube stuff. I mean, some of it's good stuff. You can right. make a, a good career just being a, you know, a social media internet instructor. Yeah. People send swings to you and it could be something you do during the winter if you're up north. So I'm not discounting it. It's just not how I like to do it. I like to see the player in person and I don't care if, if I'm missing out on $300,000 a year because I'm not taking videos online. And so be it. I'm pretty happy here, and I got a house right down the street. I'm be, I'll be all right. I think you're doing okay, George Gankus. I think he's cool. Yeah, he's making golf cool, man. I haven't met him. I know Claude's met him. I've seen Matt Wolf play in our tournament. You know, I would say it's probably why he's up on that list is Matt Wolf. Is it the methods that he he's using, or is it the delivery method? Everything. It's everything. I think if you're going to be a top instructor, it certainly helps to have your star. Jordan Spieth, sure. Matt Wolf, Dustin Johnson. It's, you're going to be up there. But like I think what makes, what makes Butch and Claude so good is they have a – it's like you're going in for a show. It's going to be a little drama. It's going to be a little comedy. Mm -hmm. But they keep you entertained. It's not my particular style. but uh, And I'm not trying to be on the top of the list or anything like that. I'm just trying to solve – You were the best instructors in the state. Golf Digest says so. That's what they so. say. I appreciate I, it. I mean, come on. But, uh, you know, I still get hired and fired, you know, every day too. But uh, Can you see it coming when you're getting fired? Usually, yeah. Just the vibe isn't there or they're just is – it, is it more so that they're disagreeing with what you're saying or they for some – I mean, there's got to be numerous reasons that you've had to experience that. Well, I've got guys on our packages that I value a lot. And it's probably – we probably do maybe two packages a season. And that's going to be – call it on paper maybe 20 hours, but there's usually a lot more in between. Sure. Because um, I'm studying their tournaments, talking to them, talking to them during tournaments. But yeah, I mean, it's either the packages running out, they're not going to renew, and they haven't seen much progress. Um, it's been three or four days or three or four times they've here, and we're still trying to fix the same problem. So, and I'm trying to find ways to maybe communicate it differently. And I'm fact checked with their stats from the rounds, and sometimes it's a good thing. You know, where we get fired and they they uh, go seek another. And it clicks and they're happy. And, and yeah. Totally fine with that. You know, totally fine with that. And then sometimes, you know, players just leave and never come back. And that's, that could be a good thing or a bad thing. You know, maybe we solved it and they're done. And uh, that could be it. I did some work uh, with uh, Dominic Bazzelli earlier this season. And I think we did some great work and he's a great guy. We just, We've talked a little bit now and then, but he hasn't come in and we haven't solved anything. So I haven't fixed anything in the last few months or so. But I don't have any problem with that. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. don't have any enemies out there for sure. You know, I'm not saying if you're not going to work with me and then that's it, you know, delete. You know, that's right. not how it works because sometimes they'll come back. You never know. I was going to ask you, you know, you're, you're constantly asking your students to improve and and to work hard you're trying to challenge them how do you challenge yourself on a day-to-day -day or week-to-week -week or year-to-year -year basis you know what do you what kind of goals do you set for yourself well i don't really set goals i'm not a goal setter okay i'm not a goal setter no matter how much people want me to write down the stuff you want to accomplish i've tried it doesn't really work for me so what i do i kind of sit down in july instead of january and 
the time where I go on vacation, family vacation. It's relatively quiet around here. Everyone's playing tournaments or on vacation themselves. And that's where I decide what am I going to think on, what I'm going to work on for the next coming year. And I just try to come up with a theme. So a couple of years ago, is just, you know, we're going to work on our same stuff, but how are we going to deal with adversity? Uh, so that was the theme for the year. So the guys on packages, the guys I work with a lot, you know, I would create adverse conditions and how do we deal with it? And then uh, last year, uh, I guess I guess currently still, was basically management. And I did a lot of this with the high school team I used to coach. I'm going to give you a schedule. We're going to have a tournament or two every two or three weeks or every two or three days in high school golf. There's no time to change anything. We need to take the best of what we got and make sure it's the best of what we got every tournament. And how do we manage that? So I worked on management. I'm still working on management. That's kind of one, I think, like I said with Ricky earlier, that's one of the key differentiators. They're able to manage their time in practice and at tournaments. And uh, I've kind of found people on both ends. Some people are grinders, and they kind of grind themselves to death. And so by the time they tee it up on Thursday, they're out of gas. And then some players are just, they can't manage the day-to-day stuff, don't know what to work on, don't have any idea of what to practice, don't know how to game plan before a tournament round. So I'll work on all that stuff. You know, I'll give you, here's our list, or here's our list of drills, that's all you're doing every day. So maybe it's a chipping drill, a putting drill, and a full swing drill. It may not even be that much. Maybe some players, I give them a ball count. It's like, you're only going to do this 60 balls. Okay. And that creates a whole different type of practice and pressure. Uh, some players just need to go out and play. And so we come up with games and we'll play on the course. So okay. well, to, back to your original question. No, no, you're, you're fine because you're, you're just opening up more questions cool. for me because I... But I'm, I do try to have a theme every year. Okay. And uh, I haven't decided what my theme's going to be coming up, but uh, it's usually what I think players need. And it's usually outside of golf or outside of the golf swing, I should say. It's something about how they're practicing, how they're eating. I've done a lot of stuff with Whoop and the company, which is pretty interesting. Yeah. So I just started doing this for, I guess it's been about a couple months now, seeing what we can correlate. Um, I'm, I want all the evidence, basically. I want You're a numbers data. guy. You want it, you, I've you, always been a numbers guy. Yeah. I'm just trying to find the correlation. Are we doing something good here? Are we not doing something good here? Are we missing out something here? Can we find something that we're missing? Little things like that. But I'm also trying to learn every day. I try to schedule something for an hour every day to learn. It's usually a podcast. It might be an article. But I try to do like the 4 o'clock hour, 4 to 5. is something I try to learn something every day. And I listen to Cameron McCormick's podcast. listen to Gary Vee, Tim Ferriss. I probably have a bunch I'm forgetting on my phone. But listen to your podcast for sure. Hey. Try to learn as much from I can, as much as I can from Brady Expert and Skip Berkmar and those type of guys. But uh, that's the other thing, you know, with your players, I'm still trying to learn as much you know, it's possible. Well, mid-ams and senior ams that are trying to balance their the, all the things with their life and still play that high-level amateur golf yeah. is... Like Brady, I try to learn something from him every time, you know? I'm not charging him for lessons. He should be charging me. He's not down here that often, but when he is, man, it's just a... He's like 
my favorite member, no offense to any other members listening. Uh, I kind of coined the term top five member. He's a top five member. And I say that to more than five members, but you're a top five member. And Brady is like one of the nicest guys ever. Great golfer. He, I have never beaten him. And <laughs> I'm still trying to learn from him too. But I think if I'm not learning, then I got a problem. Okay. So let me backtrack on a couple of things I want to hit on. So you're talking about game planning for, um, you know, your year game planning for a player. Yep. Um, how do the players here, whether it's Ricky, DJ, Brooks Kepka, maybe something that, that listeners wouldn't know, like game planning for a major. Can you speak to maybe what goes into that as far as whether it's changes to their practice, changes to equipment? Is there, uh, you know, do you all get together? And is there a meeting between Claude and, and, and Rick? I mean, how can you maybe walk me through maybe one example? I know you can't go through every single player. It's all different, but. Specifically with Brooks, I know what he does. You know, he brings in, he rents a house, number one, for a major. No, I'm sorry. I was talking about more like. Well, this is part of the plan. Okay. okay. Yeah. Okay. I'm talking about like here before they get there. Yeah. Um, okay. Maybe a few shots. We can maybe tune up the course, make the greens faster. Okay. But I would say they still stick to what their core concepts okay. are for swing. And then maybe, you know, you're trying to work on the number 13 tee shot at Masters. Maybe. Maybe the rough at the U.S. Open. We don't have much rough here anyway. Little things like that. But I would say, uh, you know, with with Brooks, you know, the plan starts months in advance, renting that house, bringing in the chef, bringing in his close buddies. And it's usually during the week, it's all about rest for him. And I think that's one thing he's learned is he doesn't need to grind it out for 10 hours a day. He always practices after the round. He has a short, sweet warm-up. Does some physio, and if he usually has a late tea time Saturday, Sunday, so he has a big workout in the morning. Mm-hmm. And it's it's not rocket science, but it took him a while to figure it out. I think you know, probably three or four years as a professional, and then um, now everybody else is trying to run a house and bring in their own chef and trying to steal his chef and coming over for dinner at their place. So it's pretty neat. It's pretty neat to to see what they do for a major, and then. A regular event, it's usually at the hotel or it's like if you're at the match play in Austin, it's at the W or it's not quite the same routine. And Butch or Brooks is big into his major routine. And it's pretty cool to hear what Claude says about the week. And it's pretty cool to hear what Chef made for the week. And, you know, in terms of game planning, you know, I can be real in-depth and technical on a game plan, but if a player tries to just kind of freewheel it during the during the round, that's fine too. But you gotta have some basics. And I would say like the DJ version of a game plan is he's gonna find out what clubs he's hitting off his tee and that's gonna be it. He pretty much has confidence that he can hit out of any situation, any bad lie, any bad spot on the green, no problem. And so what I what I really do with uh, especially the kids is just it's teach them ways to plan their round despite how they're playing their round and plan their round despite how they're hitting it. Okay. And with Arcos, you can really do it easily because it has a preview mode of your stats and how you can overlay your best stats no matter what course you're playing that day. And it tells you how to, which tee shots, to, which clubs to use in the tee shots, everything. It tells you what club you'll have expected in the fairway, 
what the club will have expected into the green, the percentage of missing it. It's all there. So we can take it to that extreme or try to find something in the middle. But you got to have some sort of prep. And you can't just show up. You can't just not have any food in your bag. You can't just not have a water bottle. You can't just show up and expect all that all that to be there. And it's typically not. Right. And now you're struggling with that. And that's going to, whether whether it takes one or two focus points away from you, it's going to be one or two shots. And then now you're upset. And I'm sure you saw players at the Rolex this week, kids that can't handle it, you know, and it's a roller coaster and that's one tournament. So try to do that 25 times a year plus. It's not going to work. So well, that was that was one thing that that I believe it was uh, Brady or or some of the other mid ams and seniors. They they say you know yeah these these college kids or these juniors, they may have the swing and they may have the length. They don't but, know how to play, but they don't know how to play yet. They don't know how to manage. And all it takes is them to you know miss a three footer or stub a chip and they're gone mentally. Gone. It's all over. It's all gone for the whole week, maybe you know. And I did a lot of that with the high school team that I used to coach. We would have Wednesday afternoon at school in the library planning the rounds, reviewing the rounds, just trying to help them, not that they used it, um, just trying to help them recount recount their round. They would present their round. And so from a public speaking aspect, that was fantastic because that's one skill that kids don't have these days. And then, you know, just going through the motions, just telling us what you hit. I'd have the guy who won usually go first, and then the guy who shot 90 go last, you know. And so hopefully the guy who shot 90 learned something from the guy who shot, you know, mm-hmm. 100. But uh, it takes a lot to play this game, man. And it's not just swing. You can be perfect out there, but I guarantee you, it's you might have one perfect shot on the course for the whole week. And I mean, Brooks and DJ have talked to Claude and he's talking with me and I've been around Brooks too. They may have three or four rounds a year that they really feel good about. And they're playing 30 times a year. And they're they're the best in the world. And you're saying maybe there's a tournament's worth of rounds that they're like, man, I played good today. And Brooks said this the other day is we were working with uh, Jack O'Donnell, one of our juniors. And once you learn that you can get over this stuff really quickly, you're going to be a better player. And that's... Pretty simple, but true. You know, here's Jack, who's a great player in himself. But he's still one of those teenagers who might get hot on the golf course. Well, I always imagine that the problem is, is that they get they get that level of success or they realize really early that they can be great. But they also still haven't figured out a way to accept the fact that you're not always going to be that great. Nope, not at all. So I just got to – I think that might be going back to our – previous kind of conversation i'm really trying to find the formula for the week for these guys you know what does it take for the week for you to play your best and i'm not talking the day i'm talking the week is the workout in the morning better for you is it after the round you need to grind tuesday there's a program wednesday or tuesday you need to play in that you get extra money for that uh, do you not need to play in that program could you play in the monday program and maybe grind it tuesday I don't know, whatever it is, it's going to be different for everybody, but I'm trying to really find that formula. And I think Whoop's been helping me with that for a little bit. And I hope to I hope to keep learning from that. But that's the biggest difference is these guys on tour, they have a 30, 40 week sometimes season. And these juniors have seven tournaments a year, maybe 
mm-hmm. three in the fall, maybe three in the spring. Maybe you'd call it 10, three in the summer, 10 to 13. And then if you're really good, you're playing more. And you can't have that roller coaster around. You just have to learn how to accept it and move on. What is the most uh, cringeworthy thing you see on a driving range? And I'm not talking about here. I'm talking about in general, if you're ever at a, at a driving range or at a club, whatever, and you see the typical member. What's the thing that you're like, gosh, why is that still a thing? Why do they keep doing that? I know one thing that pisses me off is the headphones. Okay. <laughs> Listening to music or whatever with the headphones. I don't right. mind if you're out there on the course with the speakers going. I mean, yeah, that's yeah. fun. That's cool. You're not when working you're, out there. That's, yeah. that's right. When you're grinding with your speaker, with your headphones in, and I don't know what you're listening to, but you got to be able to listen to that ball. So that kind of pisses me off. That's one of my pet peeves okay. for sure. Don't like that. But the cringeworthy on the practice tee. The guys get mad on the practice tee. That's just ridiculous. Yep. Just take it easy. I got a friend that broke an entire set of irons on a practice range. <laughs> ridiculous. So he S- wouldn't be my friend for long. Snapped him Snapped him over his leg. And I was like, okay. But the other thing, uh, I mean, maybe philosophy-wise, just hammering balls for an hour or two, one club, same target. Try not to do that. It's very easy to do that in this mm-hmm. sport. Sure. Some players, like the grinders for sure, it's one kid I work with, Josh. Josh Hart, he's a grinder, man. So I've had to tell him to tone hey. it down a little bit. Yeah. You don't need to be out there eight hours. At some point, there's a level of effectiveness that starts decreasing. Of course. You know? Well, the body can't keep doing, yeah. You just... Yeah. So we try to break it up for sure. So maybe it's a time. Actually, I did one thing with him was I put him on a time count one time and a ball count the other time we just try to find out you know what's more effective we did a time count on the putting green so he had his he has a bunch of drills he does so i just instead of just having him make like uh, basically your circle drill around a hole like four six eight ten feet sure you know, ten balls he tries to get through all of them and then i just said well why don't we just time this you know i'm gonna give you five minutes how many putts can you make in these five minutes Let's see where we're at instead of trying to start over if you miss one. But put yourself on a time limit, 30 putts or 30 minutes. Put all your drills down in 30 minutes and then get out of there. You know, go play, go find something else, take a 15 minute break. You're, you're talking about improving someone's golf game, and it's almost like you're talking about it in a way of a, a personal trainer or a nutritionist. Yep. Or like a physical therapist. Like we need to get a plan together yes. to rehab this quote-unquote injury. That's where uh, I think is my unique selling proposition, if yeah. you will. Because I, I feel like, you know, we're, we're talking golf, but it almost feels like you're trying to explain, like, look, they have a, I'm trying to diagnose a, an, a I don't want to say illness, but you're, you're diagnosing a problem and we can't fix it overnight. So let's get yep. steps put in place to fix it. Yeah, I mean, on my website. And, most pe- and most people don't do that. Most amateurs, most players don't do that. I mean, the p- people you see do that. I'm talking about yep. the, the the 15 handicapper that's listing right now or the five handy or whatever. But to get to that next point, you're feeling that you have to have this. Yes, you have to have everything. Yeah. Is this more important it. than getting the newest driver and the most expensive shaft? And Probably. Got to be fit. Yep. I mean, I know I'm not talking about, I mean, you got to be properly fit. I can't walk yep. in and get a senior flex shaft because... Uh, that's not going to fit me, but yep. but I can I can have seven year old irons that fit me and mm-hmm. seven year old driver that fits me. 
and my old trusty rusty 8802 with the shaft that we don't know what the flex is, <laughs> but I'd be just fine compared to someone that has the top of the line equipment, but I have the game plan and they don't. You'd be better off long run for sure. Yeah, my uh, my website says I'm a trusted coach to tournament players and professional collegiate amateur and junior golf. And that's pretty much all it says and a few other things and nothing about. Yeah, you didn't have a lot of bio you. information. I couldn't, you, you weren't, you weren't easy to research. Yeah, good. Oh, okay. Well, that's that FBI thing. You're trying to keep it all hidden. That's and, right. All right. I really rely on word to mouth, word, word of mouth. Yeah. That's my big thing uh, nowadays since I've been here. Okay, so speaking yeah, I think of... that's kind of the situation because you know, we've got the big B on the wall and we've got Claude here. Yeah. Right? Claude grew basically Brooks from the guy who missed Q school into the number one player in the world. So that has some traction. Yeah. I don't need to go out and pontificate on Twitter or Instagram. Well, if it's not you, it's not you. It's not my deal. Yeah. It was. I tried it for a while. Had a good time doing it. But I think I'm more effective coach now. Because I'm not spending my time doing it. You know, I'm working on whoop. I'm working on... Um, but yeah, I'm trying to be a little more holistic for sure. Okay. So let's talk about one of... You know, we mentioned these juniors. We mentioned these players. Um, one of the people we've had on the podcast earlier this yeah. year. One of US previous, Floorball. Previous guest recap. Previous yeah. guest recap. Talk to me about Garrett Barber. Uh, one of your students. He was a gift, man. You were his coach at the Pine School. Right. When you were coaching high school golf. One season. Then you're working with him here. A little bit, a little bit during his junior career, a couple times for clubs, but his his coach is Martin Hull. Okay. Again, you know, Garrett was a gift. I walk into a high school team and basically have a top five junior in the world. He became number one during that summer, going into my first season coaching. So he was a total gift, and I basically told Garrett, whatever you need to do, just do it, and don't worry about the team. All I needed to play in was five events to be eligible for the state championship. Mm -hmm. So we got that done. I think he maybe played in six. But yeah, Garrett, when I saw him, when he was working on the team with me, he was the example that I tried to build the whole program around because he basically carried himself like a tour player. He did everything that I see that's in common with the Brooks or DJ that I see Claude with. He has his things that he works on, goes about his business, that's it. He's got his little Dave Pell's putting tutor. He does a couple of things with a swing with the, uh, I forget the name of it, but it's basically a tetherball between his arms and keeps mm -hmm. his arms connected. That's it. So I worked on, went out, became a state champion, playing at LSU. And he had a great freshman year, not so good sophomore, junior year but probably because he was growing so fast. That's typically the case. Got it back together senior year. Just tore through that summer and fall of his senior year. Played on the President's Cup team. So I tried to learn as much as I can from him for sure. And that was one thing that I built around the team for that year and the next year is you got to have some sort of plan that you do every week. So here's our schedule. This is what we're doing. That's it. And if you're there... Yeah, if you're not, you're not. If you're late, fine. You're late. Garrett's going to be here. He's going to be well ahead of you anyway. I expect to catch up to him, you know. But he was great. And I coached, uh, he made it to the state championship. The team did it that year and helped him play on one hole that week. He hit it left in the woods, and I think it was 13, and I told him to just ship it out 
the other hole that was alongside 13, I think it was. But uh, whatever the case, it was he just put on a show that week. He dreamed of winning the state championship. And he shot 69-65. He was bogey-free in that 65. And I think it was a record at the time. I think it may have been tied this year, actually. But I helped him one shot. And we did a game plan with him, for sure. He had his own game plan. I recorded every shot he hit because I used his template for Q School and players that have tournaments there because they have a lot of tournaments on that course. And, uh, yeah, that helped him one hole. He wanted to go through the trees. And I'm like, Garrett, just go up this other hole. Try to slice it around and put it in the greenside bunker in the far left and got up and down and saved his bar. He's going to be a great player. He probably did a little tra- freshman transition, what they always do in Division One, yep. except maybe if you're Matt Wolf. But but uh, he'll be he'll be doing great. I haven't seen what he's done this past semester, but I'm sure he's good. But yeah, he was a gift. And then Brady Expert, he's a gift. Learned as much as I can from him. Great leadership and a great just. He's just a golfer, man. And then Skip Berkmeyer too. You know? Oh yeah, he's a project. But you know, one of the things I do with Skip is I don't say anything until he asks. It's an old kind of psychological trick called the Adlerian pause, and I don't say anything because I Skip's awesome. He doesn't need my help, so I just try to work on a few things with him. Maybe posture. I went to the U.S. Amateur, saw him a little bit. Didn't really say anything prior to the round. It's a strap show. I'm like. It's, well, it's got to be inspiring and confidence building when your te- when your coach is just like, eh, what am I going to say here? Yeah, so that's one of my techniques for sure. Is I sometimes I just do not say anything until they ask, and I think uh, I never would give anybody a lesson without them asking it. And then if we're doing a lesson, it just depends on the situation. But if I if I make that play, I usually make it with Skip, and now I make it with Skip just to have fun with him. <laughs> I just wait until they until they ask because that. That's kind of part of the learning process. Is we can't end the episode without at least one like only at the Floridian story, like 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 something that happens at the Floridian that you know obviously you know who's a member here. You know we have some people here that are well known and tour players, and you have your nice pro member term presidents. I mean you got so give me an example of of just a random encounter or something you saw and you're thinking to yourself. Really, this is where I work every day. Like I come to work at this place. Well, that probably that probably happens every day. Okay, <laughs> that's the kind of place it is, man. Okay. Like earlier this week, Kyle Berkshire walks in, played with one of our players on the course. Okay. You got Paris Linsky out there. Yep. Phenom, been playing golf for two years. Already played in the U.S. Open. Already qualified for a U.S. Women's Open. We're almost kind of used to it. President Obama walks in every once in a while as the president. Pretty surreal. As a member, it's still pretty cool. You know, as a president, you know, you got 150 Secret Service guys and the Coast Guard and the Air Force stuff around, but it's pretty neat. And so the three of us, Butch Claude, got to work with him a couple times. That was fantastic. I would have voted for Barack if I, or I should say Mr. President, if I would have met him before because he's just that cool of a guy. Really? And I think that's one thing you got to be with the president. If you're president, you got to be a cool guy. You got to be able to win that crowd so that was cool never would have thought he'd be that cool but he was so cool and i've met george w too being from texas sure i met i met president trump too and everyone's been so genuine with me super nice i met trump at his club down south here trump 
international. He's fantastic. That was well before he was the president. Super nice guy. Made sure we were all good. And we were there on Thanksgiving, actually. He was in customer service mode all day. Interesting. It's pretty neat. But yeah, every, every day at the flow, there's always something. I mean, it only happens at the flow that you have the president over here. He was here a couple weekends ago. You got the long drive champ. You got the number one player in the world. You got maybe the hottest junior golfer girl in the world. That only happens here. And so I'm very grateful and thankful to be here because there's really no other place that's better than this. If you're a golf instructor, I mean, this is it. So I better not screw things up. Well, um, I don't think you have. And uh, I think that's a perfect place to uh, to wrap up the episode. And I hope we can do it again. Yeah, we'll do um, it again for sure. Yeah. I, uh, this is very enlightening. I think a lot of people listening because you're one of the first instructors I think I've had on the podcast we talked a little golf but we still didn't talk swing we didn't talk swing we all right we'll, we'll do that for the next one no we won't we won't okay we're not talking <laughs> swing all right well we talk some more we can talk more, step more stories but no swing yeah perfect all right well i appreciate it we'll do it again soon and thanks for uh thanks for stopping by the back of the range all right thanks ben and there you have it special thanks to ryan chrysler senior instructor at the floridian for joining us this week don't forget follow us on facebook Twitter, and Instagram. Take advantage of that holiday deal. And we'll see you again next week for another episode here at the Back of the Range.